Welcome to episode one, gentlemen. Yes, here we are. Of whatever we want to call this thing. Yes. Um, three blokes and a bond. Um, <laughs> uh, kinky. Yeah, yeah. Um, the bonds that tie The bonds us. that tie. No time yeah. to bond. Um, I thought this is a good opportunity uh, at the very beginning of the journey that we're about to bark on in, mm-hmm. in, in viewing all 25 Bond films. Mm-hmm. Official Bond films. Yes, yes. <laughs> there is the chance, there is the chance we could tackle the unofficials. <laughs> if you want to go there's there. There's two. There's, well, <laughs> there's, there is technically three. Mm. So there is the original CBS airing of Casino Royale, which actually broadcast before the official films were launched. It was launched in the late 50s. And was that the American Bond? And they made Bond American. He was mm-hmm. Jimmy Bond. No way. Yeah, I've not seen it. It's Jeez. it's the only one I haven't seen. I've seen 1967's Casino Royale. Was it unlicensed too? Yikes. No, it was licensed. It was licensed. Fleming sold the rights to Casino Royale to CBS, someone like that. I, I think that's right. Um, but I think that's also why it took them, one of the reasons it took them so long to do Casino Royale you know, mm. well, it's just one of the smart reasons. Smart reason that CBS getting rid of it. Well, yeah. Well, then in 1967, they had the Peter Sellers, Woody Allen yeah. version with Ursula Andress, who is the Bond girl in Dr. No. Oh, <laughs> very good. Yes. Well, that brings us around yeah, to no, episode no, one. No, no. Before we get too, well, you know, well, we dive did, sorry, very just, deep into We didn't this. name the third one. We'd, oh, oh we'd, no, we'd, the third we'll one, the third one is probably my least favourite of... Uh, of the three, not that I've seen the the 50s one, but I know that it's inherently better. Just there's no way it gets worse than 1983's uh, Never Say Never Again. Best title, though. Again, it's a good title, it's a good title, and that's about where it ends <laughs> in terms of the uh, the ticks for that film, I think. Sorry. Well, before we get too, you know, dug down into the into the details here, I, I think we just kind of want to briefly introduce ourselves uh, to ourselves who will yes. be listening back to this. The Brains Trust and probably historical um, key historical expert in in the field joining us today is mm-hmm. is none other than Brandon McClellan. Yes, that's me. Uh, he knows all things Bond and sort of certainly brought me to to the Bond films. And also joining us is um, well Bond veteran yourself, longtime Bond fan. Yes, <laughs> first time talker. <laughs> None other than uh, Darby Deck. Yes, I don't just come in as a third Bond wheel. Uh, I was also introduced to Bond. Uh, I feel like in its entirety by Brandon. I was Mm. definitely aware of Bond, definitely aware of Brosnan in my childhood. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realise what Bond was until Brandon started to tell me about it. Mm. Well, we saw... The first Bond film I saw in cinemas, I saw with you. Yes. Which was Oh, really? The first one you saw? I didn't see any of the Brosnans in the cinema. I remember I saw Tomorrow Never Dies and fell asleep. I was only very young. I wonder if he'll fall asleep when we get to it this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, brings us to our very first film of the of the season. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. The very first film of Bond. It is uh-huh. Doctor No, nineteen sixty-two. Oh, yeah. Before we get into Doctor No and and and, and how we feel about Doctor No mm-hmm. uh, in anticipation of our viewing this evening, I just want to get a bit of a feel for how. How you guys are kind of approaching this little exercise of ours of watching all of these Bond films, and 
what does Bond mean to you and, and how do you kind of, where does Bond sit in terms of how, what's your criteria? What are you kind of looking for? What's your gut instinct in, you know, the criteria and, and, and figuring mm. out what the best Bond is? You know, how do you do that for you? Well, I've never really <coughs> attempted to watch all the Bonds end to end. Mm. Uh, I know, Brandon, that you have done that mm-hmm. more than once. Twice a year. Twice a year. <laughs> so Twice I've never, year. I've always kind of, I've just seen them in the order that I've seen them and never attempted the full watch through. I know when I first attempted to watch all of them, I kind of did it on based on mood. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how it stacks up as a series, but also I'm really, I'm not like expecting it. I feel like people like to view it as one perfect thing. And I think that we all need to like recognize that this is a really long adventure mm. and tastes change and things change. So I'm just interested to see Bond from a contextual level as well as a sort of fandom level, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. So I want to see like what a 60s Bond was and why it was that way and see like kind of what in cinema it was responding to and then the same as it progresses, like figure out the flavor of the month and why Bond went there. Yeah. But, um, that would pretty That's much interesting. I mean, you're not kind of going in there with too much... Too many preconceived notions of this is what I want from Bond and this is what I'm looking for. It's like you kind of want to be, you just want to sit in the world of Bond for what it was in that time. I'm not in control of what Bond was or ever will be, so I just want to see it for itself. For what it is. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. It's funny you say that because I think that's the only way to actually watch these films. Mm. I feel like if you go, but I, I find a lot of people judge Bond based on who their first Bond was. Mm-hmm. So when they've, you know, be it Brosnan or That's Craig. That's nostalgia. Or, yeah, and so there's this thing of, I think for more so for casual viewers, mm-hmm. which by the end of this, I don't think either of you will be. <laughs> um, I think for casual viewers, they can go back and, and they might pick out like a Diamonds of Forever or the man with the golden gun. Mm-hmm. And they go what the hell is that? Like, that's not, you know... They kind of judge it separately from what it is and where it sits within the canon. Based on what they think a Bond film should yeah, be, Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're wrong. Yeah. It doesn't mean that yeah. they're, you know... They don't have to like it. I mean, mm. there's a couple of Bond films that I would be... I think I like them all to a point. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. You judge them by the time. Yeah. And you judge them by the tone of which they are trying to achieve, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to And how, to go how willing you would say they are to experiment with what they've got at that kind of historical point in time? Yes. You know, like the fourth Bond film knew it was the fourth Bond film. Yeah. But it was also, what, six, seven years removed from the first one? Well, only four. Oh, only four, okay. So, well, yeah, the first four happened within Wow, they knew they had years. it. They knew they well, they were just churning them out. It was like a, you know... Wow. Sausage factory. They had the rights to these. Sausage they factory. got kind of, well, you know, they're just blip, 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 blip. I feel like that made sense. <laughs> it may not have. I think it'll translate really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's very interesting. You both seem to be kind of. Um, submissive or subservient to the, the bond itself. You're willing to kind well, of go, go with it. 
Well, it's, you're it's, kind of at the mercy of, of, of what these films want to be. You're not necessarily going and imposing any kind of preconceived notions of yeah. what I believe Bond to be still, for me. Exactly, but I'm still want to, I, I'm willing to draw conclusions, though. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. want to be entertained. How, how do you draw those conclusions? What sort of guide based are you... On, based on what you have in front of you. So I just guess that fresher knowledge, that fresher view on what yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's tricky for me because the Bond films and... Bond in general, mm. like the novels, the continuation novels, you know, anything to do with Bond, I've devoured over, I think I was introduced to them when I was about 12, mm. so mm. that's when I really became aware of Bond and got, kind of got into it. Um, they've been such a big part of my life now for, what's that, that's 15 yeah. years More now, than a decade. Yeah, coming up to 16. Mm. Um, it, it is hard for me to watch them and not have a preconceived notion because I've watched them so many times. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like you were saying earlier, every single one of them has an aspect that makes it worthwhile. Mm. And that makes it its own thing yes. as well. Yeah. Which, you know, no matter which way you look at every Bond film since, each of them has had that little identifying persona yeah you know that's kind of what and ties them together you right? don't get 25 films over nearly 60 years without getting something right you know what i mean like yeah. the fact that this this series is so enduring yeah i think is i think there's there has to be that is testament to the fact that it is doing something right mm. that every single one of these films has gotten something right mm. Mm. What do you think that common thread is? Why do you think the longevity is it? Agent Double Seven. That's mm. all it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think I actually think it is. Yeah. I think people just love seeing Bond, be Bond. Yeah, he's the only one like him. There is no other. There's nothing else hero like, like him. There's imitators. There are imitators, and there are there are contenders. Mm. I would say. I would say Indiana Jones is probably the closest we got to mm. a yeah. a Bond like. Thing. And, and George Lucas and Spielberg have said pretty openly that the indie films were their way of making a type of Bond film. Spielberg mm-hmm. always wanted to direct one. Mm-hmm. And Lucas said, well, why don't we make our own thing? And they're, they're very good. I think they're good separately. But mm. there is only one Bond. Mm. Goodness me. Well, we've got a lot to look forward to. Yes. What about you? Now, you you have not seen... You've seen a handful... You don't get out of this so easy. (laughs) You've seen a handful of of the Bond films. Yes. Last week, you saw Goldeneye for the first time. Yes. Which I was really shocked by because Goldeneye for me I feel like I feel like there are a couple of... And I feel like there are a couple of Bond films that everyone has seen yeah. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like Goldeneye feels like that film that even if you don't like Bond films you've seen Goldeneye yeah. or you've seen Skyfall or you've seen Casino Royale they, they, you know there's a couple of them maybe Goldfinger on Her Majesty's they might be the other ones Spy mm-hmm. Who Loved Me um, so I was shocked that you hadn't seen that but now we're going to go through and rectify that. You are going to watch every single one of these, some of them for the first time. Most of them for the very first time. Yeah. What are you hoping for, looking forward to? I'm very green, obviously. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm keen to learn. You dress the part. Thank you. Thank he you. is dressed in a dinner jacket for the <laughs> listeners. 
with a bow tie. Yes. Um, I, um, I'm going in with a very sort of... I do have a preconceived idea of, about what I want. Which is? Um, look, I want... And this kind of helped me determine Goldeneye the other, the, the other week. We had a very strict sort of criterion questionnaire process to, to arrive at, at watching Goldeneye. Um, so in my ignorance and naivety, I formulated a kind of preconceived idea of what I want from a Bond film. Um, and I believe that uh, I'm looking for six categories to be filled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I, I, want, I want gadgets gadgets and vehicles. Uh-huh, I'm going to be looking at the Bond women. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot. <laughs> um, I'm going to be I'm going to be looking for uh, a good strong villain and uh-huh. and and his agenda and what he's so his agenda. plot comes in or her plot or her plot the, comes wh- who, in. who whoever or whatever the villain is and its agenda and sort of intention yeah um, I'm also looking at locations I want good set pieces I want sexy locations mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. Uh, and Bond of course himself yeah and and you know I I think that there's several elements. That make a good bond for me, for my own personal taste. I, I think I want a kind of classy confidence. I want a, I want someone who can be kind of you know seem very confident and and capable in his physicality as well. Uh-huh. Um, gotta, oh, you want to believe the stunts. Yeah, you yeah, want to believe yeah. the stunts. I, I, yeah. I want a bond that can stunts. handle. I want stunts. I want stunts. <laughs> stunts. stunts. <laughs> Everyone wants some stunts, and I want them to do them for real. <laughs> This fake shit. None of the fake stuff. None of the fake stuff. And I want a Bond that can handle and that can handle the wit and the cheese. Uh-huh. I think that the, that's a big like, element. Like to pull it off. To be able to pull yeah. off the yeah. the cocky one-liners, and sometimes they're a bit punny, and you know that's an element mm. the Bond that I really love too. Yeah. And of course the action, the the action and the stunts and the violence. Well, you've blown it out to about eight or nine well. categories. Well, yeah. I, I think so. I think you've got a lot of categories. I've got a lot of categories <laughs> and a lot of numbers and facts and figures that will eventually no doubt be blown out of the out of the window um, as as I sort of abandon all kind of. Um, preconceived notions and sort of join you fellas perhaps in being I I wonder after we go through all these films if that will still hold true because as you listed all of those things I was like yes 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 (laughs) yes yes and I think this is the the stuff we don't want to admit yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but thinking about it like as you were saying it I was going you're like great stunts great bond women great you know villains you know, I was thinking of the films that I love. They've got all of those things. Mm. And then I was like, the films that I don't love as much, they don't have that stuff. Mm. Or they go too far. Mm. They mishandle they, it. They don't get the balance saying, they yes. don't, Like, they don't pull off the cockiness. They don't pull off the, like, whatever it is. That mm. delicate, unknown little yes. thing. Yeah. You know? And perhaps that that sort of speaks to that common thread that mm. all of them do share or all of them are striving for and, and that all the audiences are longing to see throughout mm. all of these bonds this, over the this, years. This, this DNA. Sort of in, you know, yeah. you, can't, you can't grasp it quite. You can't really articulate it, but you know when it's been manifested in front of you. The essence. The essence of bond. That's what we're here to... That's what we're searching for. That's what we want to see. Well, I think it's time for me to uh, make up a Vespa Martini and to pop on the Blu-ray of 1962's Doctor No. I didn't know they had Blu-rays back then. Well, 
Well, gentlemen, we've just finished 1962's Dr. No. Before we get into ratings, I think there's a couple of categories uh, that we kind of need to go through. I think we should give our ratings at the end once we've kind of discussed the films. Very good. I'm going to start us off, though, with a question. What's your immediate response? Um, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm feeling very happy. Um, I don't really have any experience or touchstones for old Bonds, really. So I was surprised at how much I, I got lost in it and I really enjoyed, just really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, I might feel a little bit too detached from this style of Bond, but I was, I was right there. There were a number of moments that got me kind of amped up and yes, oh, you know, the, all of those classic tropes were kind of there from, from, from the get-go. Very excited. Pretty much exactly how I remembered it in terms of the way it made me feel. I remember it being a really fun, really enjoyable romp. In terms of the way the Bond films go, this is such a romp. It has it goes from start to finish, a pretty clear narrative, and it just rockets through, and you're there with it the whole time. So, yeah, really, really enjoyable film, I mm. thought. Uh, one of the things that struck me on this watch was... Uh, it how and it's on that point mm. is just how simple the story it's is. So simple. Yeah. There's yeah. no kind of. Um, it, I actually don't think there's a B a B plot line. Well, to be honest, I kind of I always get a little confused in 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 espionage films by the narrative by the plot line. I typically always get lost and I think it's always a little too overcomplicated. Mm. And it's sometimes the, the Bond films suffer from it. I get lost with names and cases and locations and aliases and it, I lose sight of what's actually happening and it actually makes me feel a little more confused. But yeah, with this one, it was so... There, I wasn't reaching for any understanding. I was just somehow there with it. Mm. Yeah. Moment to moment. Never moment. in need of any more information than what was right in front of me. I was surprised at the pace of it. Mm. That was one thing that really stood out to me is that this felt slower than most other Bond films <clears throat> that I've experienced. And at first I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to be a little bit frustrated by this, but I really loved it. Mm. I really loved the detective Bond I really love being able to take our time with something like those, some of those scenes where it was just him kind of taking a drink or, you know, smoking in the room and, you know, setting well, things up. Often, each of those scenes was often the old school one you know, they, they don't really cut through the scene. It's pretty much all one kind of... Totally, it was held in the one thing and exactly. it was up to the actor that to fill it. That gives you that bit of that space. air and, 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 you, and, and it was filled with him as a character. You got to see him kind of sit and breathe and sit mm. in a moment where... Some of the other ones, you know, or I guess some of the more modern ones, are jam-packed full of information and shot, 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 exactly. shot, shot, yeah. action, action, action. Yeah, the, the simple 60s just really yeah, works, seems to work for Connery. For, for, mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. With a foot in the 50s, I, absolutely. I, I, I thought. It, yeah. it, it really it did fit, feel... It does feel like a late 50s. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, mm. with it being set in... Uh, it being, it's 1962. They've probably been shot on the 60, cut. 61, maybe. Yeah. Or at least written in that, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So they're right... They're just into this new decade of the 60s. Mm. And they've come from a super kind of conservative era in the 50s. But, like, I noticed in the... Um, after Strangways and his secretary... Uh, 
dispatched at the start of the film and yep. we cut to the London kind of um, radio telecommunications headquarter and they're like, oh, we've lost Strangways. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at their hair and I was like, he looked, they look so 50s. Like, yeah. Bond actually looked very different to everyone else. Mm-hmm. He kind of had a much more, oh, not forward haircut or style, but he did kind of seem a bit more current than some of the other people that were working for MI6. Like uh, Felix Leiter, Jack Lord, he looked very late 50s. He had the kind of quaff. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of volumed up there at the front. Jack Lord, by the way, uh, very famous for, um, he was in the original Hawaii Five-0. No. Yeah. Killer glasses. Yeah, yes. Rock Killer glasses. In <laughs> I don't think we'd get away with wearing. <laughs> they literally like cat's eyes. They, the cat that my girlfriend has a pet. Yeah. Oh <laughs> All right. So I think we should go down and kind of break it down mm-hmm. by its elements, Very which good. I think is something we should do with, with all these films. The first one, because we're going through with these, um, and we should have said this probably at the start. We're going to watch each Bond actor's first film, and then with the remaining films after that, it is a lucky dip. So we won't be watching them chronologically, but we will be watching each actor's first film so that we get the introduction to them and their persona, their style, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll go and watch the rest of them. So, am I correct in saying that this is the first Connery film... That you've seen, Jake, of no. James Bond. No, it's not. Oh, it's not. No, you've seen from, from Russia I've with seen Love. From Russia with Love, mm. of course. With my terrible memory, I remember very little of from Russia with Love. That's good because we will be watching it soon. No yes, doubt. Yes. Yes. Well, I will. I'll put this question to you: mm-hmm. What did you think of Connery's portrayal of Bond in Doctor No? I was surprised because I went in here. I like I like to go in with a lot of preconceived ideas, um, so I made the assumption that Connery's Bond was very thuggish. I just had this image and idea that his Connery lacked some kind of sophistication, and that he was really kind of rugged and rough and apish and th- and a bit of a thug. Which I thought kind of worked really well for the combat stuff that he was really kind of physically, you know, adept and, and the women kind of really dug him. But I was very much surprised at the level of sophistication and class that he did have, that there was this element of, um, I don't know, the, the suave subtlety that he could still manage to get in there too, that it wasn't... I wasn't watching a brute. I was, I was certainly watching someone that could handle himself with, you know, in a fight and with a knife and with a gun and all that sort of stuff. But there was, there was definitely that class. When we, when we first meet him at the, at, the, at the card table there, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I got this guy all wrong. In, in just a couple of lines, he establishes himself very firmly as... Oh yeah, that's James Bond. Like <laughs> he's so effortless. It's amazing really? seeing it in its first form. Like I mean for for me and I guess for all of us we're we're biased in a certain sense or we're tainted in a certain sense because we've been influenced by mm. 
you know, the legacy of Bond and, and its references in pop it's culture and all the other Bonds. residual memory. Yeah, yeah, of all of these things that, oh, that's Bond. But this was the very first time the world was meeting this man. Mm. What I love about Connery, particularly in Doctor No, and I might be misremembering based on some of my own preconceived notions, and we might go forward and find that this isn't the way at all. Mm. But there seems to be... It's almost as if there was a weariness that set in within Connery, that he kind of got either personally tired or or no longer found the joke funny at some point. Do you mean as his films as went his on? As his films went on. Interesting. But in Doctor No, he's really having a great time. And I think that's what I love so much. There's this... The cheekiness mm. is so present. The smile is always ready. And it doesn't seem like he is finding it to be a chore mm. in any way. It's, mm. But, I mean, maybe... I mean, it throws up a bit of an interesting kind of dichotomy because... At the time, I don't think you would have asked why this man was this way, why this killer or secret agent seemed to have so much mirth, you know, <laughs> in his kind of daily doings. And I, I don't even think it's brought to my... I don't want to think about that stuff because I'm so swept up in the joy that he exudes. But, you know, you think about with a bit, a bit more of a critical eye and you go... This guy's a psychopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we dig a bit deeper. If you dig a bit deeper, but he really, I mean, that's a testament to him that he manages to kind of pull you along. Well, I guess if he, if you follow that train of thought, psychopaths are endlessly charming. Very true. And they probably <laughs> yeah. would pull you along yeah, until they brutally dispatch you. Yeah. That's one of the things that, um, that jumped out for me in this viewing of Dr. No was... Um, he, his kills are very cold. They're mm. really uh, cold and brutal. Mm. And, and Connery seems to be able to, to turn on a dime. Like it's a mm. flick of the switch. When he kills um, Dent. Uh, the professor. The professor, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, the, that's a Smith and Wesson. Mm. And you've had your six. That, mm. That's a, a brutal scene. Yeah, and no the, longer pursues the tangent of trying to figure out who he's working for or anything like that. He... Ends it yeah. then and there. Mm. Yeah, and and uh, very similarly, the um, the fella in the um, in the the lake in the, with yeah. the knife with, with the, the knife. knife. Yeah, it's yeah, brutal. the henchman there. Yeah. Really brutal. Anything about Connery that seemed off? Something perhaps missing? Um, and I mean, there doesn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess it's hard. It's hard that question because. It's that thing of, well, it was the first ever Bond film. Totally. So the things that we've come to expect, I guess they they weren't missing at that time because that was just what the character was. Yes. I find it really interesting with Dr. No. It's kind of hard to judge it along the same lines as most of the later ones because the formula hadn't been set. Yeah, exactly. nothing had come before. It was brand new. Yeah. I guess... I guess where I go when when sort of asking a question like that is that now in hindsight and, and as years have gone on and not that I've read the books at all and I'm very new to the world of Bond but there's something about this character that transcends the actors that play them and he and Bond himself begins to take on this whole other sort of um meaning and persona in in people's minds and i guess you know in a way we judge 
we judge the actors that play him on the bond in our own mind and whether or not that's more that's sort of an amalgamation of all of them you know my bond might be a bit more brosnan than yours and, and yours might be a bit more roger moore than yours who's lazenby or you know vice yeah. versa or something mm-hmm. like that but i think for me connery's a really strong contender for my number one bond at this point um not that i've got too many to go off but at, but at this point, what I was surprised by the You've most... You've got four to go off at the moment, don't you? represents your ideal. In I think so. The yeah. ideal of my Bond. I think mm. what, what surprised me the most about him was that he did have... That he did have the charm and he did have that, like you said, that wink in his eye, that slight smile, mm. the tongue-in-cheek that, that can... That I don't want to be lost on, on in my Bond. And, and at the moment, Brosnan really sort of nails that for me. So I'm kind of pinning a lot of people, a lot of Bonds up against him. How, how important is the kind of cold, ruthless nature of, of Bond to you? It doesn't really come to mind too much. Right. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. I'm st- I think I'm still really in the world of um, seducing the woman, tongue-in-cheek, kind mm. of, you know, winky one-liners... Um, although that being said, one of the most <laughs> we talked about it just before. One of the most sort of yes kind of moments I had in Doctor No was when he killed the guy with the knife in the water <laughs> because I saw the guy on patrol coming down the water, and I'm like, oh my god, take him out with the knife! You got to take him out with the knife, and he did. <laughs> I was so satisfied. I was so satisfied. So I guess I don't know. I think there's definitely an element of Bond that I really like to see him take down people in really interesting ways and right. sometimes that might mean them being a little crueler and colder than mm. so it's it's i guess because it's interesting because i find a lot of people uh kind of go i either want a hard serious bond or i want the the one-liner kind of cheeky bond mm. but i guess with connery those two aren't mutually exclusive mm, he can have that ruthlessness and still and still have that quite uh, cheeky playfulness. Yeah. That kind of um, effortless charisma. Yes. Well, I think if you go too far... Sorry, no, If you go too far one way, then, uh, you know, he becomes, he becomes something else or he kind of... He diverts away from the bond that I want to see. I, I, I think one of the things that is concerning me the most uh, um, moving forward is that one of the other sort of preconceived notions that I have is that we're going to get to Roger Moore... And I'm just going to see him as some weird old clown, and I'm not going to, that it's going to be too, too tongue in cheek, too, <laughs> too camp and smiley. Uh, and then we're going to get to someone like Dalton, and even Craig to a certain extent. I feel, especially Dalton, someone that takes himself so seriously and becomes so moody and dark that we lose that other, you know, so the pendulum swings too far one way. Mm. So I don't know, jury's still out, but we'll wait and see. Sorry, Dubs, I cut you off. To me, like, that that sort of question of realism versus capability, you know, you you do want to see your Bond be able to take down the bad guy, and you Mm. do want to see the cold, calculated killer. But as you're both kind of getting to there it seems that bond is that infusion of the two elements Mm. so again just coming back to kind of what i was saying earlier about connery i think one of the biggest kind of positives i can give him give him for like the case for bond like the case for him being my bond is that he can balance Mm. the two and then he does so in in a way in such a way 
that it never has me worrying about the strings or seeing them in any way. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's true. able to, to to walk that balancing rope and mm. and keep up the show. Yeah, there's, there's all, an effortlessness. There's an effortlessness. As yeah, you said, an that was one of the it. first things he said: the mm. effortlessness of Connery, <laughs> which is not an effortless <laughs> word to say. <laughs> <It's not> effortlessness. <laughs> effortlessness. <laughs> So I think we can agree we're we're a pretty big fan of Connery yep. so far. It's kind of he, it's a pretty damn strong debut. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess now kind of going through the film, usually I would say, what did you think of the pre-title sequence? But there, there isn't, isn't one, one. <laughs> and the we title have... sequence is strange. Yes. So. <laughs> Because there's no pre-title sequence, we do have the gun barrel at the start, the first ever. Mm. Um, and he's wearing a hat. He is wearing a hat, and it's not Connery. Mm. I can't remember who it is. I believe it's a stuntman. I think his name is... Don't uh, I don't want to say this because I feel like feel like it's not his name, mm. but I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to gamble. I think the guy's name is Jack Kirby. Jack All Kirby. Right. Okay. I think that's the guy that invented Batman. Well then, it's, if, it is, if that is his name, it's definitely not that guy. We should do at the end of every episode. We should have a, an epilogue to each episode where we all fact check each other. And we go through. Now you said that this guy was yeah. the, was the guy previously. Yeah, yeah. Previously. Wait, no, fact check. Bob Kane did Batman. Yeah, Bob Kane did that. But Jack Kirk, 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 oh, maybe I'm wrong. No, okay, no. maybe I'm wrong. Let's forget it. <laughs> so either way, it's not Connery. We get a gun barrel. It's uh, not Connery. He's wearing a hat, and he takes a knee as well. He goes all the way down. Yeah, he drops down, probably to avoid being shot. Makes sense. Makes sense. Or he's shooting a child. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope it's not that. Um, We jump straight into a title sequence. The early part of the title sequence is phenomenal, with the little circles. The cubes and the circles and stuff. Very 60s. Very 60s. I'm with the title sequence up until the... The dancing people. Dancing people. That really got me. The silhouettes. I I actually really liked it. I... Because, for me, it was... I think it's because I'm looking at it knowing where the title sequences end up Mm, and knowing where Maurice Binder is going to go, Mm. that it's almost, they're the first silhouetted woman. Women. It's visionary. Absolutely, it's visionary. But yeah, just not tied to the narrative. Not really. Also the fact that there are three different songs in the one title sequence. Yeah, that was my one thing that stood out to me. The blending of the music is not very good. So sudden. All of a sudden, the Bond theme is gone. It's like we're we're into like (laughs) marimba kind of percussion and these three rainbow silhouettes. I didn't like... Stylistically or visually, the three men walking across beneath the titles. I thought it was super lame, but I did like how it transitioned into the opening. Into the scene. opening with the blind So it was kind of six of one. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right, I'm with it. I can, you know. So, bit, bit. It was a bit take of a Take it or leave it. Room, room for improvement. I definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm. It was fascinating, though, for me, um, watching the those title sequence, that title sequence. And seeing the names of people who would, after this film and in films to come, become absolute legends. Yeah, right. mm. The editor of the film is Peter Hunt, who directed one of my 
all-time favourite mm. Bond films, which is on A Majesty's Secret Service, Maurice Binder, John Barry, Monty Norman, you know, the, the, every name that yeah, was right. going They're through. They, and, and, and it's the family that made these films for, God, nearly 40 years together. Mm. Most of them f- were together for at least 20. Um, all right, so we moved on from the title sequence or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that was. <laughs> that was. <laughs> The plot. Mm. We've said we found it quite straightforward. Yes, very straightforward. Very simple. Deceivingly so, maybe. So, it's funny, because while I was watching it, I find it really easy to follow along with. Mm-hmm. Mm. But then to recap it. I can't tell you what Dr. No's plan is. was. true. It's got something to do with a rocket. And yeah. radiation. And there, he's, <laughs> fueling, he's fueling his... Uh, well, he's fueling his base of operations on nuclear power. Yes. So he's he's not on the grid. He's got nuclear power. Yeah. Strangways found some uh, rock samples that were radiated. Yep. Um, and that's what gave it away that he was kind of had his he base of operations power. there. But was he launching a rocket or was he sending a missile to destroy? I don't think the it was Americans' a, rocket. I don't think it was a missile he was sending. I think he was emitting some kind of signal that was oh, that was kind of disorientating the U.S. rockets out of Florida and causing them to blow up or land right. in the ocean or something. He was sabotaging their rocket launches. There um, you go. That because that's the thing with Doctor No is that I always remember. I can remember the scenes and the locations yeah. and the characters mm, yeah. and their relationship to each other, but I can never, ever remember what Dr. No's actual plan was. Mm. I know that he's brilliant and that he doesn't like the East or the West yes. and that he wants them both to pay for not hiring him. Yes. And I know that there's a, a, a rocket, there's a launch going on. I can always remember that, but I can never remember there's what always a launch. There's always a launch. <laughs> yeah. I guess therein kind of lies a little bit of a complaint for me yep. with Dr. No. Mm. It's that I do, while I find so much of it memorable, mm. the fact that I can't remember exactly what the villain's plot is does... annoys you a little it bit. It gets to me a little mm. bit. Yeah. And, and I've been watching these films for like nearly 15 years. <laughs> and I watch them twice a year. <laughs> and the fact that Dr. No never sticks with me. Mm. Yeah. And, like, we just watched it, what, half an hour ago? So would ago. you say uh, the villain's plan is kind of... It's a key component for you in a Bond film? The villain's plan is a big thing for me. The villain's mm. plan, okay. Yeah. Mm. The villain's plan is a big thing for me. Uh, if, it's, if it's too boring and forgettable, that's, that's a negative. If it's too over the top, that's a negative for me. Yeah. There's a Goldilocks zone. Believable. Yeah, there's a Goldilocks zone. And I would say the next two Connery films... It's <laughs> I would say the next two Connery films have it kind of nail the villains' plots for me. Right. Mm. Without going into discussion about it, because I don't want to spoil them mm. for for Jake. <laughs> um, I would say that they kind of perfected that as they went on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the villains' plot is pretty important to me. It's, it almost feels like, in the way that a lot of Hollywood films kind of get made today, they had an outline for a story. And locations and went out to start shooting it, but maybe didn't have a finished script. Well, I think I think this one they were pretty locked in. Okay. Because uh, they were basing it off 
it it is fairly faithful to the novel. Mm. But even the novel, I cannot remember what his plan was. I think mm. it was slightly different in the novel. Um, you know, it has that sort of vibe, the way, the way it's shot even. The, the scene moves across a beach and then into the... Right, you I know, get it's, you. Yeah, mm. It's got that kind of... I wonder, mm. I wonder. Because mm. I think it was made for roughly a million dollars or something like that, which wow. back in 1962 was a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, adjusted for inflation, it probably doesn't even touch what most, you know, indie pictures are made for now. You know, yeah. Who knows? I'm not. Uh, I'm not an economist. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've talked enough on that. What about you guys? How did you go with the plot? Similar to you, I think there's. Yeah, we only watched it quite recently. I couldn't put a pin in exactly what the hell was going on. Yeah. Um, from Dr. No's perspective, I struggle to put the threads together of how Strangway, yeah. Strangway kind of is on MI6's radar. Like, well, he I works for he, them. Right. So he was an agent. Uh, yes, essentially. Yeah. Right. Not okay. a double O. No. No, but, but he like was an that. operative of some, he was a field agent yeah. of some sort. Right. See, okay. All right. There you go. I mean, I thought he was some sort of geologist working, like having a holiday on the island or something well, like I that. Well, I think I think he went he... rogue or something and started fishing. Well, I think he was. He is <laughs> a shell diver. A shell diver. <laughs> well, he went fishing. Oh, Strangway went fishing. Honey Rider likes shells. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, We're mixing our fishes and shells. He is a geologist. I think he is definitely a geologist. Yes. Um, but he's been either recruited by MI6 or, or works for the British government um, as their, like, Crab Key, Jamaica kind of correspondent. And the fact that he's a geologist kind of helps as well. That's right. why he was investigating uh, the rock samples on Crab Key. Funny, again, that's not something that I've, I've ever really paid too much attention to when I've mm. watched the film. It's mm. definitely one of those narratives that kind of unravels as you... The more you try more and think, try about, and think it. Yeah. about it. Because it's almost it is... like it does exactly enough to to please the viewer in the moment. Yes. yes. Which yeah. is exactly how I feel right yeah, now. Is that yeah. I, I felt like I was on a great ride. Yeah. I was there the whole time. I was mm. loving it. Mm. And when I stopped yeah. to think about it... <laughs> I don't remember. That. That. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's essentially the spell it kind of comes. So... Going from the the villain's plot or mm-hmm. the plot of the film, mm-hmm. we should naturally move on to the villain himself. Yes, Doctor Julius Snow. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Well, I mean, the the first moment we kind of get a get any kind of glimpse of him is pretty spectacular. I think for me, in terms of what I want from a Bond film. You have the professor going into the room with the amazing lighting, you know, the 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 silhouette of the of the of the grate in the ceiling and everything like that, and you just have this very ominous, very Your calm, voice. Oh. reverberative voice. What Perfect. a voice oh, Joseph Wiseman has! Oh like. my goodness! Oh, <laughs> yeah, he really is. I mean, aside from his murky motives, <laughs> a perfect Bond villain. Yeah, um, maybe not. To the degree to which he's explored, but in terms of his 
key components it's all there yeah i'm always i'm always split when it comes to dr no because i i will always go into bat for him mm. and defend him as one of the best villains in the series but i can't get over and the more i watch this film i can't get over it He's criminally underused. He really is. He's and, really underused. And I'm always stuck on that thing of, is less more? Mm-hmm. Is it better for him to be the kind of, you know, I mean, the guy takes a cyanide tablet, uh, the driver takes a cyanide tablet because he's so terrified um, of Dr. No. Mm. Uh, the, the photography girl would rather have her arm broken than yeah. say who she yeah. works for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Miss Tarot won't say. Dent would rather, you know... He, he dies because he of it. He will die because of it. But, like, terrified of this man. So he's this kind of ominous, dark presence for so much of the film. So the build-up to him is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then when you finally meet him, he doesn't disappoint. But by the time you meet him, it feels like... And I don't know exactly what the runtime is, but it feels like you've only got like twenty minutes with him. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, you're right. I mean, after that sort of dinner scene in the main part of the lair with the with the big fish TV, um, it's only like a couple of scenes later that he's, he's dead. Gone. He dies very quickly. Very quickly. I'm trying to think how many scenes he's in. He's got his voice when he speaks to Dent. Yep. In the room. Yep. Then I think the next time you see him is his feet. His silhouette and, and, and his he hands. He gets into Bond's into room. Bond Weirdly room. watching Bond sleep. sleep. <laughs> Which yeah. is creepy. Great. Great. He's a Bond villain. Love it. Um, then we've got the dinner. One of the best, uh, I think, one of the best kind of uh, sitting at the table. Bond Very grounded. Repartee. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the next scene, the fourth scene... Is his last. Is in the in control the, room. The control room. Mm. And ultimately the fight. I think for me, with Dr. No, I, a couple of points. I think he's established incredibly well. Mm. I mean, it's it's kind of sort of known as, as a Spielberg technique now. But it's like, don't like show the monster. Loved the monster. Loved them, right? Yeah. Don't show the monster. Mm. Don't show the monster. Yeah. Where, oh, they invented a formula there. Yeah, exactly, right? They withhold revealing him for so long and, and they build him up so well that I think one of my favourite moments from Dr. No is the first time you hear his voice because of that, because of the setup. But I, I do think he is underutilised. I think that I would have liked to have seen more of him. But, again... Maybe it's better to leave us wanting more. I think I probably would feel a bit disappointed if he was exploited and if he was kind of overused. But I do think the fight at the end happens incredibly quickly. There's no payoff for the big Uh, hand crush moment. Yeah, yeah, I I think... Yeah, he doesn't really use those hands apart from the little... Crushes the gold ornament. Yeah, Yeah, you know. I was like, that's going to come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's dispatched... Too easily for me. I think for such a terrifying, you know, villain, I would have I would have liked to have seen Bond struggle a lot more with him. Me too. It, it's something that I kind of come back to with Doctor No. Two is that it's so, it's got quite a slow burn throughout the whole film, mm. and then the finale is done. <laughs> it's really wrapped up. It's yeah. wrapped up really. Quickly. I mean, maybe it's part of the reason they come up with that whole double climax approach that works its way through the rest of the films. Uh, quite possibly. 
Quite possibly. Because the, the one climax doesn't work. Because by the time we get to Bond versing the big villain, mm. all the henchmen are gone. Mm. Apart from the, the minions, which I don't really count. Cause yeah, and they're all None of them will ever it. land a shot on Bond. So they're just there to be blown up when the, the lair inevitably explodes. explodes. Which is a big tick for me, by the a way. A big tick for me right. well. And fantastic miniature work. Oh, yeah. oh the design. I, we, we should talk about this. Ken Adams, the production design on this. It's pretty good. Extraordinary course. It's stunning. Even the costumes were... Just brilliant. The lair. The, the lair use is... of colour especially. Oh, my God. The blue beach suit that oh. Bond wears, the blue polo and blue pants, is just... Stunning. <laughs> Stunning. Uh, I believe that's uh, available at the moment. There's a... Um, I can't remember the name of the brand. It's not Peel. It's... Um, They've it's, released it? Yeah, yeah. And you can buy the... Um, isn't it Oliver or what? Oliver Brown. Oliver Brown. 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 Very good. Thank yes, you. Thank I couldn't you. think of the, the the brand name. Not a sponsor. Um, they <laughs> would have, graciously accept well, a sponsor. We would love anything James Bond related if anyone wants to send it through to us. Um, the, yeah, Oliver Brown released this year a kind of commemorative Bond series. Wow. And uh, I think you can get the 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 blue kind of outfit that he wears but one of the really cool things you can get from them is this dressing gown it's a the uh, powder blue dressing gown and on the inside it says property of dr julia snow oh, it's the dressing gowns that they're wearing when they're drinking the coffee and oh fabulous that's great the lair's good i don't think it's my favorite and i don't think it ranks i don't think it ranks up there for me, I think the dining room is spectacular. Yeah, I mean, the, when, when we first revealed that mm. room, the fireplace, the tree inside, the massive fish kind of window. The, um, the painting that he yes. stops and looks at. What's that about? So, it's an interesting tidbit. I didn't know this until quite recently. When the film came out in 1961, the, the, that painting or portrait... <laughs> had been stolen the year before in 1961 from, like, the London Gallery ah, or something. So and so to know. it was a little nod to the audience at the time. It was, like, this massive bit of news back wow. then. Artwork it, stolen yeah, from expensive turned museum. out it was some, like, a pensioner uh, stole it to protest, like, cuts to the NHS or something. You know, it was like a protest that's uh, cheeky, thing. Like but uh, they, they slipped it in. And so that's why Bond always kind of goes does the little double take on the stairs. That's fantastic. It's beautifully designed, that dining room. I love it. And I love the um, the kind of five-star hotel bed quarters. <laughs> they given? With the maitre d'. <laughs> yeah, they've all like, got a hand. I don't know why they're all so scared of Dr. Lowe. It seems like it's a pretty lovely. It's a great host. It's a good host. <laughs> Puts on a great do. Yeah, Breakfast's been ordered. Don't <laughs> drink the coffee. <laughs> It'll kill you. <laughs> Um, yeah, this, the sets and design, I think, of this film are... Should we expand more on that? More on the different locations? Well, uh, I think we should talk about the locations for sure. I mean, the, the big one in, in this film is Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's... I mean, the film really doesn't take place anywhere but Jamaica. Jamaica apart Pine from the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jamaica and Pinewood. Yeah. Um, 
It is stunning. Yeah. I think Bond should go. Bond, I think Bond and needs Jamaica. to be in the Caribbean. Yeah, works. Bond and Jamaica. Yeah. Works. It looks good. Him on a boat, him at the beach, it looks good. Mm. Him at, like, you know, those kind of outdoor, you know, bars. The bar on the, the pier. The bar on the pier and all of that. Love all of that stuff. The guys working the boats and all of that kind of stuff. It was great. It was just really great. Him on the island as well was fantastic. It's the kind of thing that I I desperately want from Bond films is that kind of travelogue aspect Mm -hmm. where you're just you're taken to a place that you've never been, and there's a very good chance that you will never get to go to because you know I mean it's much easier for us now. You know, flights are relatively more affordable than they were back then. But I always think about that, particularly with those uh, the Connery films, is kind of watching them and going, that for an entire generation of people That's how they got out there. was how they saw the world. Jamaica. That was how they saw the world. Yeah. How they interpreted it. Well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which is a lot of power. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, speaking of how they interpret the world, I, I should say, just to double back on, on Dr. No, mm. one thing that always gets more and more uncomfortable for me as the years go on <laughs> is the, the Asian prosthetics yeah. that they've what can you put on. It? The eyelids. It's, and... it's such a sign of the times. Yeah, um, it's <laughs> in defense of it. Slight, no, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I mean, for the time, it's it was probably very tasteful. Mm. True. But... They didn't do any dodgy accents or anything. So. Thank God. Mm. They're very British. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you couldn't do it today. No oh, way. Um, you would definitely have to get uh, an actor of, of, of Asian heritage, I'd say. Yeah, of course. Um, I think one thing for me with the locations on your point as well is that... Bond for me is always it's an adventure story and any part of any good adventure is going to other worlds going to new worlds mm. and if if I'm if I don't feel that I get to experience some exotic far off land then I feel like I'm getting ripped off you haven't been on the journey I haven't been on the journey mm. you know so yeah I, I would say that my least favourite Bond films have all been uh, pretty they're the dull-looking ones. They're the ones where you go, where am I? Mm. I don't know where I am. Mm. This looks like... What country is this, you know? Mm. Can you think of an example? I don't want to say because I don't want to colour... Mm-hmm. I don't want to give you a bad impression yeah. <laughs> heading in because otherwise it'll stay in the back of your mind. And I like, I Because I could be wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah. I look at the differences between how casino and quantum utilize their locations for example definitely casino was such a it feels like a doctor no in its approach yeah it doesn't in terms of the use of color and that kind of and you you sit in the location they Mm. kind of establish yes these you know beautiful picturesque spots Mm. and it's funny because quantum of solace they i mean not to spoil it too much we've all seen the craig film so haven't we yes so we're not really spoiling anything for for each other um, that was an unsure yes. It, it, it's a. I have definitely seen it. I just don't. You remember don't remember it very well. well. That's <laughs> fine. My That's fine. This doesn't really. This shouldn't color your view of it too no. much. Quantum of Solace, I think, still holds this record uh, of the most uh, countries that Bond goes to in a film, yeah, and it doesn't feel like right. that. Yeah. What? 
It, it wow. really doesn't feel like that. I yeah, he's always a jet setter in quantum. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah. He doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we also don't get really any kind of uh, taste of those places apart from the weird artistic. They don't color the title. Film. No, they don't. They don't feel like characters in it. Mm. Jamaica mm. in Doctor No. Yeah. Feels so. Uh, it, it's ever present. Mm. It's such a. Uh, I it's mean, a character. It, there, it is, you it know. Is. Um, what was I going to say? Well, for me, locations are so are so closely linked to the style element of Bond, right? Is that the, for me the the places that he visits, that the way that they're captured and shot, and the way that Bond sort of lives in those places, that it's it's got to be stylish, it's got to be sexy, it's got to be seductive, and you know. One of the most iconic Bond shots ever is when when Honey finally walks out of the water there on the sand, and it's like, yes, yeah, yes, of course, <laughs> this is a Bond film. <laughs> yes, there's palm trees and shells and beautiful women, and you know, I I I think the more of that, the the better. Although I will be interested to see a Bond film that does, you know, jump around too much to see what that what that mm. balance looks like. Yeah. I think one one of the great things about Doctor No and that we've kind of mentioned before that that helps reinforce this this notion of, of, of the locations being used so well is the pace of the film. Is that we do get a chance to sit down with Bond in a few in a few different moments where he's just in the world and in his in his hotel room or he's on the beach there. And I think for me uh, one of the best things is that we meet him in a casino and that we actually see Bond in a casino yeah. and how much of a fundamental, iconic image and place that is. Yeah. Mm. He looks damn good in that dinner jacket. That's Very, very good. He, it, it's... Uh, the costume... Like he was, was made to wear a dinner jacket. It's, mm. it's amazing. He's... There's a... I think all the Bonds have their own kind of unique style but uh, Connery wears a suit and and wears that dinner jacket like like no other actor in the series mm. uh, Brosnan comes close I yeah think. yeah but um, well we've mentioned we've mentioned her um, iconic arrival in the film mm. I think it is time we we talk about another staple of the Bond films, which is the Bond women. Yes. Honey Rider, the obvious one. Gentlemen, thoughts? Extraordinary. Very extraordinary. <laughs> she, she is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and the older I get, the more that becomes apparent to me. When I was a kid, I said this when we were watching the film, when I was a kid, I'd never... Honey Rider never really clicked for me. Mm. You know, even though it's a, a beautiful woman in a bikini on a beach and blah, blah, blah. It, the, the, I never really understood the, why that was such an iconic moment. As I get older, I, I, I watch her come out of the, the water. And I think it's, it's the fact that she's not objectified in the shot in any way. Mm. But she comes out... Knife on the hip, yeah. You know, sun-kissed, 
beautiful blue eyes and she just holds that stance mm. and you can see why the Bond films later have homaged that so many times so I mean, many I looked at it and I was thinking of Daniel Craig coming out of the water in his blue Le Perlas in okay. Casino Royale he's got a very similar stance that yeah. wide triangle based stance she looks like a badass yes mm. and it's you just kind of go that's a Bond woman yeah that's what it was. That's exactly what you want. They've kind of got that. They're, you know, they're not just beautiful women. Yeah. You know, they are, they've got this extra quality to them that yeah. you just kind of go, of course they pique the interest of Bond. Of course they do. And yeah. instantly. Yes. Her, her, uh, her character motivations are all bizarre. <laughs> they are. They are. And that was one of the things. I like, one of the things that really... She, does, she sets a few traps for... Of later girls, unfortunately, I feel yeah. a few things that yeah, but it's the sixties. <laughs> it's the sixties. I guess that true. that's for me one of the things that you know does. I mean, I love a beautiful woman as much as the next man, but um, unless the next man is Sean Connery. <laughs> it's Sean Connery. <laughs> he loves, loves me a little, he loves a little, little bit too much. It, it did get a bit cringy for me. When it appeared that the woman was just there to kind of stroke his ego. Oh, she couldn't do a thing without him. Yes. Yeah. That, that was something, yeah, that, that kind of happens in that Dr. No lair, where she just becomes really weak. Yes. Yeah, because she feels so strong on the island when you meet her. Yet, like, she yes, does. she's in strong but stupid. What the hell is she doing out here? This is a dangerous place. <laughs> well, but she's done it many times. Yeah, stupid. Not well, but <laughs> clever and canny. I like yeah. a, that. Was one thing that I was like, oh yeah, she does this all the time. And bon, now they leave bon. me alone. Fuck. Yeah, they leave me alone. She's like they couldn't catch me the first couple of times, so now they don't even bother. I was like, nice. All right. The stuff with honey that that does get me a little bit like uh and it's the pitfall of the bond the bond women later to come it's mm. you know when she's talking about how she kind of alludes to the fact that dr no killed her father mm. but that's not a motive for her to yeah. try and get revenge on yeah. dr no she comes to the island constantly and doesn't want revenge for the death of her father yeah. i'm okay with the guy that killed my dad just being over there on the other side of the yeah. island she I... says nothing when she comes face to face with him she just you know gets taken away yeah yeah the other moment that that i find really uncomfortable with with the honey rider character is she talks about being taken in by some kind older man who then yeah, it sounds like her. forces himself on absolutely, her. Yeah. and she's like, "Well, I put a, a what is it, black, black widow. widow spider in his bed, and that's that." He took a week to die, and then she goes, "Is that all right?" And he's like, "Well, don't make a habit of it." <laughs> and it's like, "No, that's not no. the response." <laughs> she just told you that she had a really traumatic bloody experience this is a deep and you're kind of being like you shouldn't have done that <laughs> not a girl what happened next <laughs> I, I do find could be all the juicy <laughs> yes yes and then he's like annoyed that Quarrel's like hey let's get the hell out of here yeah yeah, yeah I, I do find her motives 
get a little lost. Yeah. And I think she could have been a really interesting, a much more interesting character. Great introduction. Promising. Uh, great introduction. I just introduction. need a better reason to get her on the island and have her in the movie. Well, I think it's... <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think they're so close to having it with wanting to get revenge yeah. for the death they're of close. your father. But another, then they forget 40, about They had the ingredients. Another 40 years they would have known what to do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. There really isn't Many other Bond women in there. There's Miss Taro, the um, another Asian or white actor oh, yeah. with Asian Playing makeup. Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's fine. She's fine. I, she's really... I find her a bit forgettable. Mm-hmm. She. Oh, there's the photographer. The photographer. I mean, I she's remember got a strong them. moment. There's a nice good yeah. scene there for the photographer. Yeah. But I I don't care what's happened to them. Since you know, mm, I'm kind of yeah. like, yep, yeah, okay, you were the technically their plot service, yeah, yeah. sacrificial lamb yeah. almost without yeah. being sacrificed. I've mentioned him already, Quarrel, mm. our ally. There's two main allies in this film we've got Quarrel, his sidekick, Pussfella, and Felix Slider. Pussfella, <laughs> yes, <Puss-fella. laughs> I had never heard that name clearly until today. <laughs> Quarrel's mate's name is Pussfella. Oh my god. He's the guy that runs the bar, right? Yeah, and when I heard that name, I think I vaguely remember something in the novel being about him wrestling a giant octopus (laughs) and beating it. Because in the novel, Bond wrestles a giant octopus. Oh my god. Thank god that's not in the movie. Oh, I would love to see that. <laughs> it's a very different movie. That's very hammer. 20,000 leagues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting a lot of Jules Verne yeah, vibes. Yeah, yeah. What were your feelings on Quarrel? Quarrel. Bit of a caricature. Yeah. Um, Slightly uncomfortable the way they've written his dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think it's kind of caught up in a lot of the the social norms of the time, yeah, which is really sort of difficult to digest with a two thousand and nineteen perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he's the beginning of a very important important kind of yeah. bond element, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know. Of of the the contact of the the sidekick the trustee kind of ally absolutely yeah. I find his I find his um, I find him quite likable yeah. yeah I find him instantly very charming mm. um, I actually found his introduction really interesting because I I initially thought he was a doctor no bad guy bad guy henchman, I yeah. thought he was a henchman I thought he was going to be like a lead henchman that was going to keep coming back mm. on Dr. No's side and then that whole kind of exchange of him being stalked by Bond through the pier and over to the bar and, and then that sort of confrontation in the shack in the storage shack I really I really love that um, and then he sort of does become this there's elements of comic relief there's elements of bumbling kind of fool as well yeah there are <laughs> it's sort of a bit confusing the um the dragon stuff I find uh I find a little insulting to very him. cruel death for him really cruel Burnt death a lot and again over like that yeah not like, mourned at all no we don't have any flowers yeah <laughs> great line though yeah. I really liked that line 
And I did like that Bond does make a couple of steps towards yeah, yeah. moving to him to at least acknowledge the mm. fact that this guy just was burnt alive. Yeah. I do find it a little insulting that he believes what is clearly a vehicle <laughs> is a dragon. Yeah. Like there's this myth on when, the island that yeah. there's a winged dragon yeah. that breathes fire. When everyone in Jamaica <laughs> seems to be driving a car at some point. Like they know what a vehicle is. Um I don't know why why that's in the story. Why is that from the book? There. It is from the book, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and it works in a book. I don't know if it works on the screen. Yeah, I think in the book you can create a really great machine. Yeah. But on a $1 million budget <laughs> in the 60s, maybe not. Yeah. Well, the biggest question is why the hell did they have a dragon car? <laughs> yeah, why not just have a tank that blows fire? It's got to be a dragon? Is it because he's Chinese? Is he trying to I tap into oh, this? It could be Chinese yeah. mythology of I the dragon. That's it. I think oh, that's I think you've yeah. nailed it. It's yeah, it must be. Well done. Well, thank you. There you go. Trying to be fresh. See, this Bring is the thing. The when you watch these movies too many times, I think you can't see the wood for the trees. So it's good to have you to be like, no, you idiot. It's this simple thing. No, but still, but like, but it serves no practical purpose. Absolutely not. No. I mean, the only thing that it does is that it captures Bond. But, but I want mean, to reference my culture. How many ways can you capture Bond and bring him into the lair? I mean, yeah. no, I know it's going to be a flaming dragon tank. It's very funny that he's very he's very fond of his um, Chinese heritage, but not his German heritage. Barely gets referenced. No German heritage. No. no. At all. I mean... The war. That's the, <laughs> that's the villain in him, though. Ah, yeah. right. Yeah, very, yeah, very good, very good. The writing's on the wall. How do you rate... Is this your first encounter of the... Oh, well, no. You would have seen Jeffrey Wright's Felix Leiter in Casino Royale. Yes. How did you rate... <laughs> very unconvincing, yes. <laughs> I'm starting to think you haven't seen Casino Royale. <laughs> Um, how did you rate uh, Felix Leiter? He loses a point for the glasses. I can't get past them. They're very silly. But he's Gla- a good he Felix. wears glasses. He's a good Felix. He's he's very cool. He's very cool. Yeah, yeah. He's a cool dude. Which is something that, uh, and I think you'll see this. No other Felix apart from Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is cool. cool. Yeah, they're Jeffrey. all a bit bumbling and dowdy. Right. I like Jeff. I think Felix Leiter is going to be the kind of man that leans on a bar. Yeah. Yeah. Which one was Felix Leiter? Felix Leiter had the big cat. Oh, the yeah. CIA yeah. guy. The CIA guy. Right, right, yeah. right. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Yeah, yeah. Rob, yeah. Rob, Rob, Rob Lowe. <laughs> By way of Jack Lord. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you think of him, Jake? He's not really in it much. No, he's not. I didn't no. really feel like I got enough time to get to know him. Mm. Um, which was, it, And it was weird seeing him come back at the end, too, because he felt visually very different to me. Mm. Like, when we first meet him and he's got these really kind of feminine camp glasses on and he's in that sort of beige brownie suit thing. It's a great suit, it's too. A great, it's a great look at the start. Again, I thought he was going to be some sort of henchman as well. I thought the mystique around mm. him was, was good. Um, but then having him very on the boat, paranoid. 
Yeah, yeah, you don't trust anyone. Not at all. You can't trust a single person. Then you've learned your lesson. <laughs> but seeing him on the boat at the end in like the blue navy sort of sailor pants and everything, I kind of mm. felt he got a little bit lost. Mm, um, true, they should have dressed him like him. You know, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he, he kind of looks just like, like another... Oh, he's another yank. one of the crew. Yeah. Sort of, no, 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 he's the lead CIA operative that's kind of going to be... Along the along with Bond throughout all of this, you know, yeah, so. he, uh, yeah, I think you guys have nailed it. I, I, I never really remember him, mm. apart from the scene where we first meet him. Mm. I always remember that scene. I don't remember anything else he said in mm. the film. No. I just remember that he's a handsome, handsome fella. Yeah. Yeah, don't couldn't really tell you why he's there or what he's really about. I know he's American, I know he's CIA. But one of the memorable shots for you guys that you vocalized mm-hmm. included mm-hmm. him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the two shot looking up at them from the from the, the perspective boat. of um, of quarrel. kind of, of quarrel. the over the shoulder Beautiful. of quarrel there. Beautiful backlit. Mm. Yeah. But aside from pretty boys, you know, good looking lads. Yeah. He's really he's, he's kind of forgettable for me. Yeah. Um but it's a weird thing because the character of Felix Leiter is so... It's so much a part of the Bond makeup. Mm. And yet when I think about him in the films, I don't... If you just watch the films, you wouldn't really be able to guess why. You've got to buy into him. And yeah. Then, and then want to find out more. Yeah, he doesn't I, jump out at you. Really. He always feels underdeveloped for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and I think Jack Lord does a fine performance with what he's given in this. But um, and and a lot of people say that they think uh, he's actually he's cooler than Connery in 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 his scenes, and that he mm-hmm. kind of is like the version of what Bond will become. He's kind of got that effortless charm. I disagree with that. I think Connery. Uh, charms the pants off of that guy mm. I think every time there's a shot and Connery well no not literally he could if he wanted to I'm sure <laughs> but every time Connery is is in a, a shot even when he's bruised and bloodied and sweaty he's still the most interesting man in mm. that room I'm always my eye is unless it's his stunt double unless it's his stunt <laughs> double a very obvious stunt double when he comes down the vent <laughs> So I guess we've kind of, there, there aren't any gadgets to cover in, in this, no, apart from like a, a Geiger no. counter. A Geiger counter and a flip-up desk, which is sort of a gadget. Yeah, sort of a gadget. Sort of a gadget. Kind of very just sort of disappointing. I thought we were going to get a kind of very, very rudimentary, very primordial kind of cue scene when the, when the guy comes in with the... Uh, in M's office at the beginning with the little kind of case. I thought we were going to mm. get some kind of, oh, take this watch, take this pouch. That probably is the start of it. Well, it yeah. technically is because I think that I think that character is meant to be... Because he calls for the armourer. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that character is meant to be Q. I yeah, think right. he's the, the early version of the... Q. Because Q isn't in the novels. Oh, at all? Uh, at all. Oh, really? Yeah, not in the novels. Oh. And um, not from memory. Definitely not in the in the, um, the fact in the ones that that were written before the films come out. Wow. But I'm fairly I'm fairly certain Q is not in the in the novels. I haven't read the novels for about maybe a year or so now, mm. so they're a bit foggy for me. So this is so 
Bond is obsessed with using a Beretta. Yeah, he has a Beretta at the start. Right. But and is that something that's kind of kept kept going? Because I always thought that he was the... Walter PPK. It was the PPK. Well, this is where he gets it. So right. he has the Beretta and M says... Uh, he goes, well, the Beretta's never failed me. And M says something along the lines What's of, the well... What's of that? In, I, I don't really know. I don't really know. Um... But M does say that in his last mission it jammed yeah. and uh, Bond was shot. Uh, so he ends up getting... Um, he, he had to take a couple of weeks off or a couple of months off duty. I remember in the, um, in the novels uh, that that happens because the reason... Dr. No follows from Russia with love in the novels, which is the other way around in this. And when he fights Rosa Klebb in the novels, uh, I think the Beretta jams. And she's able to get a, a fairly wounding shot on him. Right. right. I'm not going to spoil how for you, Jake. Okay. Um, he gets, she gets a fairly wounding shot on him. So I think that's kind of them tying into the fact that... Because Doctor No is not the first Bond novel. Uh, so they're trying to, you know... Right. Retcon ret- some of that extra, you know... So from this point on, Bond adapts himself to the PPK. That becomes yeah. his primary sort of weapon. He has the PPK just... for... I think 30 years. Because it's an this. iconic thing Until with the Brosnan. silencer and everything. It's... What does Brosnan have? Brosnan goes to a PP9, uh, which is kind of your more... Um, kind of your, uh, It's a slightly bigger, kind of blockier... 90s. 90s <laughs> American cowboy mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, thing, which very much suits Brosnan in the time. Um, speaking of Q and... The lack of Q. Mm. The other MI6 regulars we're introduced to is Moneypenny, Money Lois Penny. Maxwell, yes. and the the iconic M, Bernard, played by Bernard Lee. Mm. I was surprised to know that the whole Moneypenny romance sort of flirtations were there from the very beginning. Mm. And and not subtle in any way, <laughs> whatsoever. He like sits in her lap. It's, it's workplace harassment. <laughs> yeah. it's, yes. I mean, it's full on. <laughs> it's very sexually charged. <laughs> Absolutely. And M's clearly aware of it because he acknowledges it after the... No more of the... the witty the, repartee. The yeah. usual <laughs> repartee. He's busy. Get a move on. I think you can see why... Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell were in so many oh, of the films them from the start. From they? the start, mm. they actually—it was funny. I was watching that scene kind of with this in mind. I was like, "Oh, I wonder how comfortable they are at this point," because it's you know, mm. it, first big blockbuster for them, most likely. Yeah, and probably they's, a day's shoot. Well, yeah. They seem more comfortable than Connery does, actually, in those scenes. Um, I, I think Lois Maxwell is one of the most charming actresses in How the How many world. films does she play money? She is in all of them up until A View to a Kill. So wow. that's... What's that? That's like 23 years Gosh. she plays money. Crazy. That's amazing. It's amazing. And Bernard Lee plays um, uh, up until Moonraker, but he... Um, he Sadly, passed away after the shooting of, of Moonraker. Mm. They're iconic. I, 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 they, they constantly turn in a good performance mm. um, in these films. 
they just feel a part of the furniture. You know, they, Already, they feel yeah. like they're so dug into that world. It's amazing to know that that's the very first time that we meet those people. Yeah. I guess we're kind of wrapping up the. We've covered most of the key elements of mm. of uh, of a Bond film. Um, I, I will say one of the big things, one of the final things we should talk about is the score. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my favourite because it's mostly just the Bond thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I love the Bond thing. I kind of love that about it, though. Yeah. It's like you can only get away with that the first time. Uh, that's true. And I guess... I, I remember someone saying this saying this to me years ago. They were like, yeah, it's the Bond theme to you yeah. in 2000 and whatever. But it was the film in score. 62, that was the score to Dr. No. Yeah, exactly. The They'd yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. So... Of course they're going to reuse that awesome sounding music for him walking, you know, in a casino or sure. checking his hotel room or eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking poisonous coffee. Drinking poisoned coffee. <laughs> um, that said, it's 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 still very cool hearing that Bond theme. Yeah. Every time it pops up you're like oh. Straighten your, you know, you straighten your posture, you sit up, a smile starts <laughs> to go on your yeah. face. It's because great. you feel it when it's not there. Yeah. You know, in, in, mm. in the films that come later where we start to kind of experiment more with the score and the sound of Bond. Yeah. And you have these moments where it's not, it's not where you think it should be or it's not kind of driving home that added impact. Or of, it's absent completely. Or it's completely gone. Then, then you really feel it. Mm. Darby, a question for you because you are a director. Mm-hmm. Technically, how the film's kind of put together, the way it's shot. Uh, thoughts? How do you feel about that? Um, it's very much of its time. Mm. Um, L- a lot of jump cuts. Oh, there's a lot of yeah. They've, 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 there was a lot of cheeky little cuts in there that must have looked good on a. Fifty-year-old film scanner or yeah. editing bed, you know, it must have been. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, I think we got away we with that. Got, <laughs> doesn't really work in twenty nineteen, but um, yeah, as I mentioned, all the just gorgeous color. I mean, this is pre-color grading, obviously, so they're capturing capturing all those colors in camera. It's stunning stuff. Crazy. Um, but blocking and staging is all pretty straightforward. Very much as we said. That they rely a lot on that single moving master. So the master starts off with a man entering a room and then it comes into a tighter mid shot and you'll see it's the same shot that ends up on the close up and that pretty much every scene followed the same sort of visual order. Little inserts here and there of the, the hairline the yeah, hair on the door. Or, silence, uh, but a lot yeah. of creative first time stuff as well. Mm. I mean, I'm not really a great film historian, but some great exciting moments that I yeah. thought must have been the first of the time. How favorite shot? Do you have a favorite shot? Um, as much as I didn't like the dragon tank, the yeah. shot where it is moving across in the distance with the three of them at the bottom of the frame in the foreground, and then the the orange and grey sky and the muddy foreground underneath the tank, I just thought was. I don't know. It looked like an iconic image. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why people don't reference that one more when they talk about Bond. 
that image. Ah. That's how much I was like, that's probably a killer because image. of the silly tank. <laughs> probably, probably because of the silly tank. But it looks like something out of a, a great war film. You know, yeah, and I thought, yeah. you know, yeah, the longest day or something. It's you know, really struck me that and then that, that kind of awakened in me. Then this is the power of visuals. This feeling of dread on behalf of Bond and his crew, a feeling yeah. of battle dread. You know mm. that that was all. It was all working in tandem, which is probably why I found it so powerful. But yeah, how you guys might know this a bit better than me. Obviously, I haven't seen too many of them. But how how much how much technically did you find was established in in Doctor No? That, that carries on into the other film. Did you find that there were any particular stylistic or technical choices that were made that have since sort of informed or become kind of uh, synonymous with the Bond films or perhaps set any trends? I mean, for, for me, mine are less so to do with the camera and stuff. It, it's more the um, Bond, James Bond. Um, when he walks into Money Penny's office and he tosses the hat on, and it lands, mm-hmm. bang! First go on the hook. When he leaves Money Penny's office, ciao. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think he says for the first four films, up until You Only Live Twice, where I think he says, um, I believe he says uh, the Japanese word for goodbye, which I can't remember. Sayonara, Sayonara? is that yeah, goodbye? Yeah. Um, I hope it is. <laughs> um, it, it's it's those moments. A vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Because they're the first. Yeah, they and, and 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 because they they just become staples of or the bond. Or they're visionaries. Vision yeah, moments. yeah. So it does. It gives them that kind of power. But yeah, yeah. A sitting at a poker, t- uh, uh, not a poker table, a, a, a casino yeah, table, yeah, card um, table there with the chips and everything. Dom Perignon on ice, mm. s- luscious spread great fashion yeah. all of that stuff it's all set up it's all there in that first that first film yeah yeah. I mean I wish that not just Bond films but particularly Bond films would go back to the simpler camera style I mean yeah, I was mm. just about to say do you think things have kind of sped up now or we've become overstimulated every time I see that scene in Doctor No where he's he's um, puts the powder on his briefcase and the air across the door and checks his hotel room and sits down for brandy Every time I see that, it, it has that, we were talking about before, that essence of Bond. There's something there in the patience. Mm. And I just don't know if they're patient enough anymore mm. to wait for those moments. It's, it's the detective aspect it's of It's the Bond detective that, aspect. That, yeah. um, that is, I think, in all of the best Bond films. Mm. All the best Bond films kind of have that element of, of a spy, mm. which is... You know, investigating, figuring out the yeah. puzzles and the problems, and, and trying not to be seen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole element of mm-hmm. of, of secrecy, yeah. Yeah. which Bond doesn't do so well in the early films. <laughs> no, no, or in any, or in any films. I mean, the fact that he's just blatantly like, "My name is Bond, James Bond." <laughs> <laughs> like, great. All right. <laughs> oh, you're the spy that just landed here. Right, great, <laughs> yeah. great, great. Oh, you killed Doctor No. Great. <laughs> Well, I think we've covered all the elements. Gee. So now we get down to our rating system. Yeah. And so we split the films into two different categories. It's a very obvious kind of rating, but I think it's apt. The film is either shaken or stirred. So we rate out of 10. If a film gets between 1 to 5 out of 10, 
we consider that a stirred film. If someone brought you a Vesper Martini that was stirred, you'd still drink it. (laughs) But it's not what you asked for. If a film gets between 6 and 10, that's a shaken martini. And that thing, it hits the spot. (laughs) So gentlemen, we'll go to you first, Arps. Is the film shaken or stirred? It's most definitely shaken. It's a a lovely, delicate looking beverage. (laughs) Um, I would have said it was a shaken nine, hot Mm. off the viewing. I think, thinking a little more... I'll slip it down to an eight, just because I know that there's room for improvement. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to go in, you know, as too hot too early. Kid would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to go too hot too early. I want to leave some room there. Great Bond film, loved it, but it's a shake and egg for me. Mm. You'd watch it again? Absolutely. Mm, very Jake. good. Tell you what, shaking on stir. <laughs> This was very enjoyable for me. It surprised me. I thought, ah, older Bond, Connery Bond, didn't really know what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised. Like Darby, I think there's room for improvement. It's not 100% the Bond that I want, the Bond that I see. Though I was, I was very open to kind of new Bond experiences. And did you get as many as you thought you would? I did. Mm. I did. For the most part, mm. they were there. For the most part, they were there. But like you, sitting on it a little bit more, you start to you start to see the, the cracks a little more. Um, I'm also going to give it an eight. An eight. So it's, it's a, a shaken. It's a shaken eight. It's a shaken eight. So Definitely shaken. Shaken eights. I'll be back for sure. Well, look, there's no I'm doubt. Sure, there's no doubt. That this is a shaken. It, you know, it's the film that launched a thousand Bond films. <laughs> Without it, we would not have Bond. We wouldn't have cinematic Bond. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, it, I actually think there's quite a lot to be improved on. And I think they improve upon it very quickly in the next two films. Mm-hmm. I think the next two films is where they really lock into... Top tier kind of Russian from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. Goldfinger. I'm gonna say that it's a shaken seven. Okay, just because similarly to uh, something I said about Goldeneye when we watched it, um, the score, uh, knowing what John Barry has up his sleeve, Mm. and knowing the scores that are to come, this one is slightly disappointing just because it's just the James Bond theme and mm. underneath the mango tree <laughs> um, I think yeah I think there are better Bond Bond women to come better villains uh, but it's by no means a bad film and I think it's a shaken seven from me very good very good well this is certified shaken it is <laughs> that is three shaken martinis <laughs> Shaken, not not stirred. (laughs) Well, thank you, gentlemen. That wraps up Dr. No. Our next 
Bond film that we'll be, we will be watching is the first and last George Lazenby film. Aussie Bond. 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oms. 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 We'll be watching Oms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 